Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. This is the third in our series from the Somerset Celebration of Literature Festival. In this dual episode, Ian and I are joined by Mark Smith and Emily Gale. Mark's writing has won a number of awards and has appeared in Best Australian Stories, Review of Australian Fiction, and The Big Issue. The Road to Winter is his first book. In this episode, we talk about the identity of Australian YA and its place in the wider marketplace. What makes its voice distinct? I'll be back in the middle of the episode to introduce Emily to you. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. I'm Joel Munn, and we're coming to you from the Somerset Celebration of Literature at the sunny Gold Coast. Ian, you're joining me again. It's been less than half an hour since I last saw you. Mm. Actually, I've never stopped seeing you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, We're spending a lot of time together. It's been good. I know. It's been yeah. healthy. We'll never talk again. <laughs> you do realize this, right? It's the possible. festival finishes up and, you know, yeah. we're gone. But you we're having a good back. time. That's the main thing, right? <laughs> if you say so, Ian. Yeah. If you say so. <laughs> but the people we are having a good time with are the guests. Mm. And we have one for you, Mark Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. Fantastic to have you. So, Mark, tell us a bit about yourself and your book, and tell us how your time at the festival has been going. Mm. Okay. Festival first, fantastic. Um, how good is this? To, yeah, it's great. to spend it's really good. four days uh, based at a school with, uh, you know, we've got students coming from all over Queensland. I was working with some students last night from somewhere way up in central western oh, wow. Queensland. They'd spent eight hours on a bus getting down here and they wow. were just blown away with being here and enjoying it and mm. fantastic um so yeah i'm i'm here uh obviously to talk to the students uh, meet as many people as i can and also to promote my book which is the road to winter um it's a uh, it's a dystopian fiction right. young adult set on the west coast of victoria um, sort of focuses on a 16-year-old boy. 16-year-old boy is the narrator, protagonist, mm-hmm. um, and um, living in fairly dire circumstances. That uh, you know, most sure. of the population has been wiped out in a virus, and mm. and Finn is this boy living on his own uh, until, of course, a girl arrives in That's in great. town. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, we'll get to mm. talking about YA fiction and specifically mm. within the Australian context mm. very soon. But right now we're talking about media. So what have you been reading, watching, imbibing in general from uh, all things writing? Yeah, well, uh, a couple of things. I spent, I spent most of uh, January in the US and in Canada. Sure. Ah. Um, so I was trying to immerse myself a little bit there. Um, I was reading, uh, it's funny because even though I've, I've been sort of classed as a YA writer, I barely read YA. I read mm. fiction yeah. really generally. And I think most, I think yeah. a lot of... Uh, YA writers do as well. Very um, so I was reading Commonwealth by Anne Pratchett, which is this mm-hmm. sort of multi-generation, oh, this story of a family over three generations, yeah. right, which is just so beautifully written. Mm. Um, uh, fantastic. And, and I came home and I'm actually uh, on a panel with Holly Throsby in, mm-hmm. um, down in Queenscliff in, in oh. a month or so time. So Great. I was reading her book, Goodwood, which mm-hmm. I, I really loved, really really wry sort of sense of humour that, yep. that runs through it. I know we're going to talk about Australian fiction in a minute <laughs> and I'll come back to Goodwood because mm-hmm. I think it's a really good example of it. Um, and other, other media-wise, um, I, I don't have a lot of... Writers don't have a lot of time. Yeah. No, we, have, we, have to, we make time to read. Mm. Um, I, 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 went, I binged on a series called The Night Manager. Oh, yeah. You know, The Night yeah. Manager. Yep. Um, I just got... I was blown away by that. And, and, I, and I do like to binge on things mm. like that, just 
get yeah. through them, get out of the way. Um, something, something like Game of Thrones, I won't watch it all, and then bang, I'll <laughs> yeah. watch the whole series. And it's all done. Uh, it's all done. In yeah. the, all done in yep. a few days. You know. Yeah. So, and it's, I think it's the nature of, yeah. because most writers have to have a full-time job as well to earn yeah. some money, um, then you have your full-time job, you've got to write, plus you're trying to keep up with <laughs> yeah. popular culture, I suppose. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Keep in touch. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a, bit, a little bit about The Night Manager. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've talked about it a little, uh, on the podcast before yeah. with mm-hmm. Ian. Yep. Uh, Ian's had some uh, controversial opinions, yeah, no, not really, about the show. You're not the biggest fan of it? Yeah, it was all right. I personally didn't love the wrap-up for me. So yeah. I found, um, and just spoilers for people, it, it felt a bit uh, disingenuous, I think, in terms of the, the, the danger that the character faces and the way that everything kind of wraps up neatly. I felt. Now, I didn't actually read, though. I haven't read John Le Carre's book. Mark, have you read it? I've, no, I haven't. Yeah, so I haven't either. So I'm, I'm interested. I actually really should look up, and I will do that yeah. in the future, to see any differences there, because I didn't, I didn't yeah. buy it personally. Yeah. You know... Uh, uh, I think in I think in uh, in film, in television, in writing, mm. I think the hardest thing to do mm. is to finish it yeah. and yeah. to Finishing know when it's finished. Yeah. Um, I'm a I've had a I've had a writing mentor for for the last five years or so, Amanda Laurie, who mm. is this, you know, she's won the Patrick White Award for literature. She she judges a lot of short story competitions. Yeah. She's um, lectured at Griffith Uni, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Um, and one of her things that she first said to me when I when I was beginning writing, she said, "You know, there are so many great writers, and they can write really good stories and good novels, mm. but so many of them do not know how to finish them." Yeah. yeah. And and how how. Uh, how I find that really uh, a real letdown when you've been with someone, you've been yeah. with something all the way through, mm. and then they try, they tie it all up very, very neatly in the last ten pages, and wham, bam, thank you, yeah. you know, yeah. there's my and, novel. And, and in, in many ways, this is a thing you remember, right? It is. It, it, yeah. it leaves mm. the lasting impression yeah. of how these characters are tied up. Absolutely. Uh, a great author that I admire, and I think his best book, Perito Street Station by China Melville. Yeah. Mm. Um, a lot of people talk about the ending. Mm. They don't talk a lot about mm. what happens in the entire book. And yeah. I think, for the majority of the book, it's one of the best modern fantasies I've yeah. read. Yeah. Mm. That ending, so many people just get hung up on yeah. it, and I understand, you know? Mm. And that's the discussion, you know? That's where the threads are. That's what reviewers talk about. It's that ending. Yeah. And uh, in many ways, it's understandable. You leave the reader at the end of your book, mm. and you want them to remember the whole of your book. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is if you tie it off well. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So let's talk about the topic we mm-hmm. are on today. And following on a bit of a part two from speaking to Emily Gale, we're talking about what is Australian YA? What makes it Australian? What are the strengths of it? And can it be exported? Can other countries really get into it and dig their teeth into it? And can identify with the same themes, topics, characters, and landscapes that we love. Mark, um, go for it. It it is a really difficult thing to put your finger on. I I know that there's something unique there. And um, if you look at who our icons are in in literary fiction in Mm. in Australia, um, the the landscape of this country has really heavily influenced their writing. And I'm talking about, for me, um, Mm. especially being a coastal person and a surfer, and Tim Winton... um, is very well known for, mm. I mean, beautiful character, you know, beautiful characters and, and very um, taut prose, yep. uh, but it's almost as though the landscape is a character in mm. each of his books. Um, even in Aerie, which, was, uh, which yeah. was set in a high-rise building in Fremantle, mm. you know, yeah, yeah. somehow still that the imposing of the wind and the... So and important. Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, it was very much a part of that, still very much a part of that book. Mm. Uh, and, and I know when I was writing my own book that 
I, I guess I guess it partly comes from that writing what you know. Yep. Um, and so where that landscape that I set mine in on the west coast of Victoria is something I know intimately. Yeah. And I know what it's like to be sitting out in that water, you know, between sets, having a surf, looking back at that coast. Yeah. Um, so, and I know, I know we're a coastal dwelling people, but this is a big country, you know. Yep. Um, yeah. And, um, and I think that I, in some ways our, I, I, in some ways I don't think we do have a wholly identifiable sort of mm. trope, which is, which is Australian literature. I think there are parts of it. Um, yeah. YA, we, we're, you know, obviously we're talking about um, here at Somerset. Mm. Um, there's huge diversity in that, yeah. in that, yeah. in this one area, you know, yeah. um, from total fantasy to dystopian to post-apocalyptic sure. to, yeah. to realism to, um, you know, to magic realism. Mm. Uh, and, and, and yet it all sort of somehow fits under this banner of, of YA. Uh, and I think that's probably in in general fiction in Australian mm. literary fiction. I think that's that's very that's pretty much the same. Um, if I think back to so I, growing up in New Zealand, you know, mm. we had we had a, a different kind of influence. Yep. And we we had yeah. New Zealand authors, but yeah. uh, one book that was on the syllabus and which was my introduction to Australian YA was uh, Tomorrow When the War Began. Mm. Yeah, and I, yeah. you actually just triggered uh, me thinking about yeah. triggered somehow. Yeah. You got me thinking yeah. about that because uh, you mentioned the landscape as a character. And when I think about the pictures that came up in my mind, I think about um, just kind of the, the the tents and the hills, and I think about this mm. sweeping landscape. And it does. You're absolutely yeah. right. There is a there is a character in that. Which um, which is the 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 I want to say the red earth. I almost want to say the red. Just the I'm trying to articulate. I'm not doing so well, but in my mind, yeah. I can clearly see that character, the if you will. Dark clay. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you yeah. know, with that, uh, I've like that that book's 20 years old now. Yeah. Um. So, uh, and when they made the film of it, they made a film in I think sort mm. of late 90s, it early was. early 2000s. Yep. Um, and you could see that it was a film that was made for an international audience yeah. because it was, it was you know, yeah. they, they were trying to portray that Australian landscape. Yep. But, of course, they had to make it iconic. So yep. it was all filmed, you know, the, the mountain scenes course, were, yeah. were all filmed around the Blue Mountains with these beautiful <laughs> escarpments. Yeah. And, you know, and it wasn't quite, when I was reading that no, book, it certainly think. wasn't what I was no. picturing as I went along. So in the experience of trying to appeal to a broader audience, do you think it loses? some of its home base? Uh, I think that there are... Um, I, I, had a, I had a chat with Chris Wormsley, um, mm. the, uh, who wrote Bereft, which is one of my right. most favourite Australian novels. Sure. And that book sold really well overseas. Right. And he did very well out of Bereft. Mm. The reason that it did, in his opinion, is because it, it sort of played up to an international stereotype of what the Australian landscape is like and what right. Australian character is like. Yeah. Um, so he didn't do that deliberately, it just happened. You've got to be very careful as a writer mm. um, not to have that sort of that sort of person on your shoulder saying, mm. think about the international audience, yeah. think about the... Yeah. It's got to be just whatever whatever comes out and whatever you're, you know, what you yep. personally want to portray and try and just get that out of your head. I, it's curious to me because... Um, and. Long listeners of the podcast know that I rant about all things Danish, you know, the Danish film industry, the Danish book right. industry. And it's one of those small markets that I keep harking back to simply because I think they really have a good bend on what makes it very iconically Danish. But yet the world laughs it up. They're, uh, they're yeah. independent films are internationally recognized. Mm. Mm. At the mm. same time, their genre fiction is internationally recognized. Yep. Their short story anthologies. Mm. Um, short stories get picked up in The New Yorker. Mm. It's, it's incredible. And I think that 
um, they're not really concerned about it, are no, they? Like, I think they're, they're kind of playing on their distinctiveness. Yeah. Yeah. They've done that in some fantastic uh, television or in, in sort of series as yes. well. Yes. Um, which, and you watch them because they're Scandi. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I, I want to immerse myself in that world again. Yeah. It always seems to be snowing or... Yeah. Yeah. Scandinavian like, drama. Yeah. There's something great. about it that draws it's, you in. It's yeah. never yeah. summer in Scandinavia. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, now, I want to ask a question that might be... Yeah, um, it's a bit, bit deep, really. Is some of that? Of course, you would. Yeah. It, it <laughs> have, has with the Scandi thing. Uh, have, have the people who are producing that? Are they? Is it that they're comfortable in their own skin? Because I know as a Kiwi growing up, and I and I hear the same things getting echoed from Australia as well. You, you sometimes feel a bit embarrassed. And the classic moment for me, just taking us a little off topic, the classic moment was sitting in a theatre during Star Wars, and uh, a, ki- a Kiwi kid comes to the door and says, "Oh, Dad, there's someone at the door for you." And like you heard this audible groan <laughs> oh, in the no. audience. No, because yeah. it's to other people they were like, "Oh, yeah, sounds exotic," yeah. but to us yeah. we were like, "Oh, cringe our accents." Yeah, and I wonder yeah. if, and just to bring it back, if some of that is there's, there's a comfort in your own skin saying this is who we are, mm. and it's actually it's mm. good. Yeah, it's so good. I, really I would argue that. that that New Zealand has turned a page there because, yeah. um, you know, I, I think I think it began for a lot of people here in Australia with the film Boy. Like yeah, Boy. Yeah. Yep. It was just so beautiful and quirky yeah. and there's so much going on in the background yep. that's just kind of what did I actually see that you know? yeah yeah um, and meanwhile these fantastic characters and yeah. and the beautiful screenplay yeah. um, and just this tiny little film that came out of New Zealand and it was gold it yep. was absolute gold and I think that then um, they probably saw well our distinctiveness is actually an advantage yeah, yeah. And maybe that's the same sort of thing that the Scandi Stuff is working on. Ooh, so, th- so this is my sweeping generalization, <laughs> and I hope that you will correct me on this, Mark, and, and jump in <laughs> here, in as well. Is the idea that there's a there's a little bit of a trend here? It's, it's, uh, Denmark, uh, you know, the Dan- very small country, yeah. very small population. Yeah. New Zealand, very yeah. small country, very mm. small population. Mm. Australia, pretty big. Yeah. We're tending on a global market because we we in some ways. And, you know, again, generalizations, we like to compare ourselves to American markets. Yep. Mm. We like to compare, yeah. well, less mm. so to the UK market. Yeah. So do you think that's where the problem is, that uh, I, we're I not small enough? Well, uh, yes and no. I think we have, I know for, for anywhere in the arts, mm. um, you're looking at a very small demographic yeah. in Australia. And yeah. so, um, if a, for instance, if a, if a book in Australia sells 15,000 copies, it's done really yeah, well that's in, great. A, in a very small market. <laughs> it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a commercial success. Yeah. It's no money for the author, but no. it's a commercial <laughs> yeah, success. Exactly. You know? um, whereas if you can pull in, and, and The Road to Winter, my book is being released in the US in July. Yep. Um, it's going that's to awesome. the UK in Congratulations. May. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, so, it's it's kind of opening up this suddenly you're moving from a, you know a market of what 24 million people yeah. to a market of several hundred million people yeah. um, so if you can get even a tiny little you know foot into that market you're going to mm. you probably sell more books yep. if it's in, if it's remotely successful yeah. in those markets um, compared to something that's very successful here in Australia yeah and yeah. I think some of that is that um, you know so Writing what you know in some ways, but kind of going to to write dystopian fiction uh, set in in a, in a smaller area. There's something yeah. about I think, kind of, I use the term doubling down, but you know really. Yeah. Owning, owning who you are, mm. and I think that that's an exciting thing because when you do that, people kind of accept it. And I think there's something about yeah. them not trying to be anything else. No, that's right. And there's got to be, I think, what I think there's got to be a point of distinction. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. think that point of distinction is something that we do pretty well yep. here in Australia, yep. um, without 
playing up too much to the stereotypes. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has gained us a bit of a foothold. Like YA in Australia is is now gaining, mm. I think, is gaining an international reputation. Yep. Um, and whether that's not necessarily reflected in sales, but certainly in the diversity of what mm. we're putting out. Yeah. So. With another, uh, jumping off Ian's point here mm. about dystopian fiction, we had a guest on the podcast, Bryony Doyle. Um, uh, this Island Will Sink, I believe yeah. it is, or yes. The Island Will Sink. Yeah. Sink. I always get those mixed yeah. up. Um, great book. Mm. Uh, it is dystopian fiction, and it's curious that, again, it has that really localized feel to it. Um, what were the challenges, do you think, for you when you were writing uh, your novel? Were you, were you, you know, you mentioned earlier not to have the voice on the back of your shoulder saying... Mm. International audience, yeah. but clearly you are gaining an international audience and a market. Why? Why do you think that is? What? What transcends? Uh, I think, ab above and beyond anything else, regardless of topic, whether it's dystopian, whether it's sure. whatever, the writing's got to stand up. Yeah. If the writing doesn't yeah. stand up, it's not going to work anyway. Yeah. Doesn't matter how great your characters are or or, or the actual storyline. Um, so. My, I think that the beauty about dystopian is that you can take an existing situation and ratchet it up two or three yeah, spots right. yep, so sure. that it's almost, um, you're trying to make it believable but mm. not so far away that it that becomes unbelievable. Yeah. So Dystopian yeah. fiction that's yeah. very like near future stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so as an mm -hmm. example in mine, um, I talked about uh, there are two characters who are escaped asylum seekers mm -hmm. um, and they've become an underclass in this right, not yeah. too distant future Australia. So mm. they've actually been brought in, the young and fit have been brought in from detention centres yep. and sold as slaves at right. public auction. Wow. You know, and I've had a number of interviews where people said, well, come on, you know. You'd, and uh, and my, my answer is always the same and that is that 16 years ago, mm. I would never have believed that my country would be keeping yeah. people in, you know, in tropical hell holes yeah. um, uh, indefinitely, men, women and children. I would mm. never believe my country was capable of that. Yeah. Um, so who's to say that in 10 yep. years' time, my country wouldn't be capable of, of doing that? And I think it's one of the things that people would... There's a link there that people yeah, sure, just yeah. That, that's that's actually the human condition. That's actually believe, and I think it's a yep. it's a good it's a it's a real uh, a trope, if you like, again of dystopian fiction is that it is it's a little bit far fetched, but not that far fetched that yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, and I think the key that I find with believable dystopian fiction um, is the idea that you take a thread, a worry, something that is very close to home, mm. you stretch the thread out. See where it might lead, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I know uh, you know you often see this uh, posted around on the internet, and a lot of people mention it to you and be like, mm. "Isn't just dystopian fiction just a uh, you know?" And the author just worry warts, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know yeah. what? What's the what's what's the drive for you? Do you think about dystopian fiction? Is it for you? Do you think it is entertainment, or do you believe it, it has some sort of higher thing, like a moral obligation or something like yeah. that? As soon as you start writing with some sort of moral obligation in your head, I think you're going to yeah gonna miss the yep. plot. Yeah, yeah, lose yeah, it, you know. Yep. Um, so, uh, and especially writing for young adults, which I had never had any intention of doing. I've got yep. to say, um, writing for young adults. As soon as you start hitting them over the head with your ideals about climate change or about asylum seekers yep. or whatever it is, they will put that book down and they will not come yeah. back to it. Yeah, whether they so agree or not. Whether yeah. they agree or not. So the the, the story has got to be the driver. It's mm. got to have a great plot and yep. it's got to be a page turner. And woven through that. Mm. coming out through the characters yep. needs to be those larger picture issues that yep. you can pick up on um, and, and have a discussion about. Fantastic. 
Ian? Yeah. And there is that. If I can ask uh, just one, one kind sure. of last question. Did you find as well that when you finished writing, you looked back and, you know, you've heard, it's kind of a classic saying that, you know, you look back and you find the themes in your story. W- was there any theme that came out particularly when you finished writing that you didn't expect? Uh, I think most of them came out pretty organically. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, my, my two asylum seekers, my two Siley girls, mm. uh, were originally not asylum seekers at all. They were just right. girls who, who yep. were living on a farm, you sure. know, and their family had been wiped out too. So, yeah. But I thought, well, what's going to ratchet this up a little bit more? Yeah. And what's yeah. the... Um, Increase the stakes. Yeah, what's going to raise the stakes? That's yeah. exactly right. And I think you do need to take those sorts of risks when you're writing. Um, yeah. And there's no... A book comes out two years, three years after you've written it, so you can't yeah. sort of think, oh, I'm going to get my finger on the pulse <laughs> yeah. here, because who knows what's going to happen yeah. in three years. The pulse yeah. will be gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you, do, you take that risk. Um, and the two principal issues, you know, that, that, that happen in the road to winter or evolve, come out of the road to winter are climate change yep. um, and, the, and the asylum seeker issue, but it's buried yeah. Yeah, inside right. these fantastic young kids yep. um, who are trying to survive in a very, very different world. Fantastic. Great. Well, we're wrapping up the topic for today. I really hope you've enjoyed listening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, for those international uh, listeners that were worried that we were being attacked by a pair of glass, it was a, I believe it was a crow. Yeah. But uh, we're safe. We're fine. Our eyes are still in our sockets. All good. Um, and thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you on the next podcast. Coming up is our next guest, Emily Gale. Emily has been involved in the children's book industry for nearly 20 years. Emily's writing includes two novels for teenagers, Girl Aloud and Steal My Sunshine. Eliza Boom's Diary in 2014 was published for younger readers. Her latest novel, The Other Side of Summer, was published in June 2016 by Penguin Random House. We continue our topic with Emily and ask why there needs to be a difference between the varying YA markets around the world. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We're coming to you from the Somerset Celebration of Literature at the Gold Coast, and I am joined by my co-host, Ian Laking. Ian, how are you going? Yeah, good. It's great to be here. Yep, this is our third day at the festival. Mm. How are you feeling? What's the energy levels looking like? Yeah, look, I, I had a good breakfast. It was yeah. cool. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, feeling really just face today. I got a, du- I got a double shot of coffee. That nice. Was yes, I'm two coffees down. Yep. I think we can last the day. Pretty maybe, good. Maybe go for a third later on. Maybe, yeah. Almost definitely, I think. Um, great. Awesome. How are you finding the festival so far? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's great to see so many young people here. I think it's so yep. important for us to, to be passing literature and the love sure. of reading along to, to a fresh generation. So, yeah, it's just exciting to see people. And when you see kids lining up, getting autographs and things, yeah, it brings fantastic, a big smile to my it? face. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, we have a guest, as we always do. And our guest today is none other than the very lovely Emily Gale. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Charles. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you. So tell us about your week. How is your couple of days of the festival been going? It's amazing. It's actually my first ever Writers' Festival. Um, so it's my baptism. <laughs> um, uh, and it's, sure. I, was, I was worried about it being extremely human. I was uh. just like really preoccupied about the weather on the Gold Coast because, I, as you can tell, I'm yep. not mm. from this part of the world. <laughs> yep, you and me both. I feel like this is the best writers' festival to, for yeah. it to be my first. Mm. Sure. The sort of reaction from children, I couldn't <laughs> ask for more. They're so gorgeous. It's priceless. Yeah. Um, I did a workshop with uh, about 26 kids of all different ages, and they all read out their work. They all had this su- supreme confidence about them. 
Um, I'd actually prepared something to read myself. And by the end of it, I thought, I'm not really sure I want to read my work. (laughs) Your work is so good. Um, So, yeah, it's been great. I am tired and I'm really feeling quite a lot of respect for writers who do this Mm. all year round and just go from festival to festival. I think it's all that adrenaline and... And then trying to sleep at night when you're really excited about all your talks the next day. Yeah. So um, for someone who spends most of her time alone with a dog and a <laughs> manuscript, it's a very, very different experience. Yeah. Fantastic. No criticism from the dog, right? It's just generally a mutual respect going yeah. on. My dog is actually listed first in my acknowledgements page oh, on nice. my latest novel. Yes. Um, just Priorities. purely because every sort of three hours, he sort of nuzzles me and says, you know, like, you doing all right? We need to go for a walk. Yeah. Oh. This, this, this chapter's not going very well right. for you. Yeah, um, maybe if you get out and clear your head. Yeah. Um, so he's very important. The therapy life. dog. I need a therapy <laughs> dog, Ian. I have a therapy cat. Yeah. It's not great. I had a therapy <laughs> budgerigar. Yeah, really? Yeah, oh. it flew away. Okay. Oh. Wow. So, so that's your one therapist to abandoned you. Yeah, because he was like, "You're a, you're a what did that do to you, Joel? Hopeless <laughs> case. <laughs> I'm wasting my time. Created the need for a therapy. I'm gonna hang out with some magpies. They'll listen to me. Just trust me. A, a cat does not work well as therapy. All they do is try and lie on your keyboard occasionally. No. That's true. But I think cats are really intuitive about emotions. That's so true. I have two cats as well, and they always know when yeah. I'm really, really sad, and they just sort of come and plonk themselves on me. That, that is a strange thing, isn't it? We have two cats, and one knows, and the other one doesn't. So, uh. but you want the one that knows. It's really yeah. great. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, sometime I'm, I'm sure we'll get a dog. And when we do get a dog, it'll be a therapy dog for that. So do you, and you regularly take breaks as a result? Of, does the dog, does it actually work is the question. Yeah, I mean, I live in an apartment. So if I don't take my dog for a walk, it's really bad news for my floors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, so it has to be done. But you can, I think when you're writing and you're sort of deep into a manuscript that's giving you some trouble, yeah. um, it's very easy to just stay there and just sweat it out and yeah. skip meals and treat yourself really badly. Mm. And so I think having a pet or children or yeah. friends who knock on your door every so often is really essential. I've, I've always just imagined since mm. I ha- haven't had like a cat live with me for any length of time, mm. like not more than six months or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I've always imagined being a writer with a cat would be like having bad reviews on Goodreads, just constantly. Bad, bad <laughs> how's this? <laughs> just like a bad feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the black cat thing, maybe. Oh, I see. Oh, black cat across right. the window. You the know? bad luck motif. Yeah, yeah. No, my, my cats, they've, they've helped me and encouraged me many times. So, it's nice. I, But I'm a cat person, so. Yeah, I like cats too, but I've just, you know, there's something about it. It's just not it? Not yeah. too, well, there you go. I'm wondering if I now have to blame my cats for my bad reviews on go. Goodreads. That's Easy. Well, that's right. what I do. Easy blame. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Never good. you. Never you. you yeah. It's the cat. It's, it's the, the tortoise shell. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. One star <laughs> shouldn't have had a cat. <laughs> there it is. I can see it now. Well, let's move on to the media section. Mm. Ian, you and I have not seen anything at the hotel room. No, but I, I will say one thing. I am... I am like in the middle of this, for some reason, I decided to start reading Silence of the Lambs. Yes, now, talk I've to me never about seen, that. I've never seen the movie either, so I don't know what goes down. Um, and so it's probably pretty risky for me to say I'm enjoying it. It is so well written. And, um, and I just, I mean, the craft of the story is really, I'm about a quarter of the way through, according to my Kindle. And um, yeah, really enjoying it. So um, I, I, it's strange because on the way up here, I started reading Mort out of the uh, This World series. And for some reason, I was like, eh. So I, I moved over to um, to Silence of the Lambs for a change of pace, and I've been really enjoying it. Yeah, fantastic. I've been currently reading the Story Equation, which is um, I forget 
Susan May Warren, I think her name is. Mm -hmm. um, and she's talking about the ideas of characters and building up characters. And it's, um, you know, people, long listeners of the podcast know I'm a very inside baseball, um, <laughs> you know, writing <laughs> stuff. And I really, I really enjoy that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's been uh, currently on my reading palette and uh, doing a bit of writing last night. It was, it was pretty good. But um, fantastic. Emily, what mm. have you been reading or watching? Um, okay, last movie mm. I saw was Arrival. Oh, Ooh. right. Great. Let's talk, talk about, about Arrival. Yeah, Arrival. All right, let's just spoil a warning this yes, and then we can go yeah. right in what depth. Yeah, maybe we... I'll be careful about spoilers because I if really feel like it's I don't want... Okay. That's okay. Um, okay, I had a very strong emotional reaction yep. okay. to it. Um, so I went out on a very rare date night with my partner to see it. Sure. And we were going to go out for a drink afterwards and get ice cream. Yeah, and yeah. Ready, ready, go to town. <laughs> when I, I know came out, going. Yeah, <laughs> when I came out of the movies, I got into the car and just cried. Oh. And he was like, what? But what? why? Yeah. Why? And I gave this very long speech in the car yep. on Ligon Street about why it had upset <laughs> me so much. And he said, do you want to just go home and oh. see the children? Yeah. Yes, oh. please. There we go. Um, <laughs> I thought it was it it was very powerful. Yeah, um, sure. I have had chats with people who thought it was just really a, a selfish movie that mm, okay. that particularly her actions were selfish. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, comment. Yeah, so yeah. from movies that I haven't seen, but seeking to talk to people about the film on the podcast, for instance, I'm very bad. I just go read the whole plot on Wikipedia. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I know what happens. So let's okay. let's, let's talk about um, yeah. let's talk about the ending. Right. Right. Yes. Give Let's the spoiler warning. Okay. 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 All together now. Three, two, one. Then we see spoiler warning. Okay. Three, two, one. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler warning. warning. There we go. All right. So let's talk about the ending for Arrival. Yeah. It's a bit of a time loop thing going on here. Yeah. Yes. So what was your reaction to it? Now I know a lot of people were quite unhappy, mm. and they were saying that really, that yeah. was the ending. Yeah. What was your reaction? No, I. When that happened, mm. I thought, and I didn't know anything about the film when I went to see it. Yeah. When it happened, I thought, this is definitely a short story. This has been based on a short okay. story. Yeah. yeah it just yeah, had yeah, that yeah. vibe. Yeah. Mm. And it, you know yeah. that the way that sometimes short stories sort of drop off and they, they yeah. leave you there, but yeah. you expect it because it's a short story, and yeah. sometimes that is, that is how they work. Mm. Um, so, but once I got past that and sort of thought about the experience yeah. of the movie up to that point, I was, I was really happy with it. Like yep. as, as a viewer, I, I didn't mm. have a problem with it at all. Interesting. Um, I thought it was clever, and I, I didn't feel duped. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought yeah, I thought it was really well wrapped up. Um, I understood his reaction to what happened, um, and I felt like yeah, I can I can see the the, the selfish angle. Um, for me, I didn't pick where it was going exactly. I had a feeling, but I didn't pick it exactly. Um, and in terms of the craft of the story, yeah, I thought really good. And it, in, at no stage did I suspend disbelief or feel like it was ridiculous. I felt like it was kind of a sensible. Um, sensible take on aliens visiting us. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Like, so philosophical. Yeah. Um, and on the selfishness, I just thought that she had carried such a heavy burden and you didn't realise it until that moment. Sure, right. What would that have been like to yeah. carry around? And she really, she was very brave to, to carry that burden, I thought. So yeah. that, that for me cancelled out. Yep. Whatever else she had taken from Interesting. that experience. Yeah. So here's a question that is probably unfair. Most intelligent... Alien movie you've watched? Oh. <laughs> I'm well, I'm, re I'm really not an alien movie, movie. watcher. Yeah. I know. Hell of a um, question. So yeah. I can't, that would be it. Because I, I really don't have a great basis to talk oh. about. E.T. E.T. E e for you? E Definitely. Well, no, I'm just trying to think of other ones. Other mo alien movies I've seen. Like, I'm a sucker for time travel. Yep. So just straight up. 
total suck of a time. Sure. Trip. And I discovered my hairdressers as well when I got in, when I got a haircut for this. Um, so definitely like an, it's an intelligent kind of time movie. In terms of alien movies, yeah, I think fantastic. Normally alien movies begin with like some horrible thing going wrong, and I think that's what War I expected from this. I expected them yes. to, to smash start with a disaster. Yeah, yeah. I definitely expected a, a more sort of Action. danger, danger to her, yeah. and yeah, yeah. 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 The I was glad like she's that there wasn't any the alien ship. Jumping out, explosions oh, yeah, happening. That was good. That was yeah. good. I didn't mind that. Yeah. yeah. Oh wait, that That's actually happens. That's a level happens. of peril I'm happy with. Oh, that actually happens. Okay, I'm just. Oh, yeah, no, there is a you bit didn't read that on Wikipedia. <laughs> no, I didn't. There's only a little bit of that, Joel. Just a little bit. I mean, All right, fantastic. Yeah, it's it's well done and it is intelligent. I think that's probably the thing is that, and, and it's true with any great story that you you take it regardless of the the genre that it's fitting in, the the human truth came out and that's what makes it such a powerful. Yeah, and, and her incredibly subtle performance and yeah. never overacting, just never, no. you know, I thought she was perfect. So it's curious because I had intended to see the film mm. and not read it on Wikipedia. Yeah. But the, you know, I, I don't actually know what happened, but I feel like that film got buried. I don't know where it came out. Like oh. maybe there was films around it or something like that. But the critical mm. response was very positive and yes. then it was gone. Yeah. And then no one was talking about Arrival. It I guess if you're yeah. really into alien movies, it's probably not going to float your boat. Mm. So and then if you're uh, not, you probably okay. would enjoy it, right. but you wouldn't necessarily go and see it unless someone made you. All right. Let's, true. let's end with a superficial question here, because yeah. I'm full of those. Um, okay. Did they actually show the alien? Yes. yes. Yeah. What, what does it look like? Very beautiful. Yeah, it's oh. really good. Really Enormous. Good. And there's one, okay. one good jump scare as well, which I enjoy. Really? Yeah. With the alien, which I won't give away so that you is, still get a jump scare. Is it xenomorph level of jump scare? Oh, no, no, no. But just like a really well done. It's kind of like, it's hard to explain what it's like, but it's yeah. cool. But it's not like 1970s Doctor Who. Kind yeah, of none stuff. of that. It's, it's very beautiful, very good special effects. Not that there's anything wrong with 1970s Doctor Who. Yeah. It was campy and beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's got its time. Yeah. yeah. It was it better than place. 1970s Batman. It has its place and <laughs> yeah. it, that place is gone. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Let's wrap up the media section yeah. and move on to the topic. It's quite a broad one, ladies and gentlemen, but, but hopefully we can at least dig into a slice of it and get a sense of where we're going in this discussion. Um, and I hope, most of all, that you enjoy the discussion. So, Emily, let's start with you. Um, we're talking about YA. We are. And Ooh. let's just say you're an expert in this field. Oh, must we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say that. Um, let's start off with the idea of... Um, individuality within YA. Let's talk about mm. the idea of um, Australian YA. Let's talk about the idea of uh, US YA. Let's talk yep. about European YA. Mm -hmm. Why is there a difference and why does there need to be a difference? Okay, Ooh. well obviously um, I spent most of my life in London and so my formative years reading British fiction um, and I've been in Australia for nearly 10 years. I would say that Australian fiction has been my best introduction into Australia mm -hmm. and especially YA, Australian YA is completely different and that struck me very early on mm -hmm. um, possibly because the Australian market is small mm. and has to be has to protect itself um, the standard of, of YA here is incredibly high yeah. um, that's, I think that's why it's so upsetting when um, people uh, can get quite snobby about it um, it's generally when they've only read um, maybe some of the more commercial American YA, Hunger Games, Twilight, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, to, to judge Australian YA by those standards is, is completely wrong because we've got actually a very high 
and sort of literary fiction yep. type of, of YA, as well as those incredibly popular, more sort of commercial titles. Mm. Um, so that's one of the ways that I see the difference between um, those much bigger markets of the UK and the US mm. um, and the, the, the high quality of, of Australian YA. So you mentioned uh, in the middle of that, you mentioned that Australian YA is very different. Um, let's talk about um, the meat of the story, so the Australian story. Mm. What do you think is the big takeaways there? What do you think makes something distinctly Australian YA? Um, I think you, you do still get your sort of your landscapes and, and mm. your Australian terrain that you, yep. that you get in the rest of Australian fiction. Sure. That mm. does come through um, definitely, probably maybe more in the sort of literary end of, of So the YA. connection with the environment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's not so limited as, mm. as one might think. It, <laughs> I mean, the Australian YA is getting more and more diverse and more and more broad mm. um, as we go on. It still needs to get more and more diverse, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but it is getting there. I don't really know about flavor apart from that. Mm. But from my point of view, it has been just like the best welcome to this country. Um, and in getting to know all sort of different types of writers and the community as well. I think if I think about uh, some of the, the people, so I, I spend time hanging out with the Victorian writing community through Writers Victoria, which is great. And yeah. um, and when I think about the diversity in Australian fiction as well, I'm excited about what's, what people are writing currently. So it's not published, but, but mm. hearing from people who are, they may not be published yet, they may have published something already, hearing about what they're writing, I think I get excited about the fact that Australia does have its own uh, I say niche happening. This is this is when yeah. uh, to get to a wider issue. I, I think it's so important for Australia to have protections around what we do here because it, um, if we were just be flooded by um, you know, the 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 size of the market here with Australia, it always feels like Australia is big, but the mm. population is not as big as the country yes, size suggests. Absolutely. And I think that you can get lost in that quite easily. So coming from New Zealand to here, I always thought it was so much bigger. And then I realised being in Melbourne, I you know the community, the it's writing a small world. Oh, it's a very small, and it's like having all of New Zealand squeezed into one yeah, city, basically. Really, Melbourne. So, um, I, I think that it's important for for Australia to be able to have um, those protections around YA, because otherwise, if we did just get the big generic commercial fiction coming in, that would uh, potentially override our ability to generate unique stories out of Australia. And so that's where I kind of tie into the the stories I know people are writing and you know, hope to see published in the future. Mm. And that's that would be a concern if they weren't able to do that because uh, we only saw the big commercial fiction so let me play devil's advocate for a moment and the idea is so are we are we saying in indirectly to the reader that we want them to read specific things we want them to read specific kinds of fiction or is there something else going on here i think we're saying if you want to see your life reflected uh, you're more likely to find it in australian ya than you are in american ya um, and yeah. American culture is incredibly overbearing, and mm. a lot of it is magnificent. Mm. Um, I'm not mm. knocking it, but um, <laughs> if you're an Australian kid and you're constantly reading stories about kids in New York, yeah, um, you know that that's fine. But you also want to see yourself and your own life reflected. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, important. That's interesting. I was, th I was thinking about talking to a couple of my good friends who we, we chat over Twitter a lot, and I think about, um, you know, one of them's written a story in, in small towns. It's, it's in Bendigo, so in, in a country town. Yeah, if, you, if you're looking to see your life reflected and you're a kid who's growing up in a town, in a rural town, mm. you know, you're not going to find that in New York. You know, you're not riding the subway every day uh, or going to a public school that's in a, in, a, in a building in the middle of a city. You know, you've got yeah. 
the landscapes are happening, but you've also got the small rural fields, you've got the challenges that come from the isolation of, of rural life. And then, you know, another friend is writing a story set in Collingwood. And if you're a mm. young person growing up in Collingwood, you've got a very different experience. Like Collingwood is so unique. Anywhere in the world that I've been, yes. I've never found Brunswick Street and I've never found Smith Street. And, you know, that's part of what I love about Melbourne. Um, he says, getting a little emotional being away from home. But, you know, that's, that's part of what I love about it. Um, and so I think that's really important. And if you, you don't want to see that fade. You want to be able yeah. to find yourself in fiction. Yeah. Um, and I think that you can really take it for granted um, if you're like me, a white middle class British woman. Like I've seen myself reflected in so many books. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there are no more books need to be read, you know, <laughs> written for me to see myself reflected in. Um, but that mm -hmm. is not the case for a lot of Australian kids. Yeah. Um, so there's a YA writer called Rebecca Lim who has taken it upon herself to try to ensure that lots of underrepresented um, communities and mm. writers are going to get the chance to pitch their work to publishers. That's good. Um, so, yeah, so she's set up this whole scheme where publishers come along um, and own voice, uh, you know, diverse writers come along and pitch their work to publishers. Because, you know, we, we take it for granted how easy it is for us to just, you know, mm. send off an email. We've grown up in this sort of um, privileged environment yeah, where you yeah. know you can do that, mm. but not everybody necessarily has that access. So what do you think uh, the inverse effect is with Australian fiction being an export? You know, do you think mm. uh, that it is currently uh, a valuable export um, or that ne more work needs to be done to actually push Australian-based YA and fiction in general to, the, to the UK US. and the US? Yeah, it's very, very difficult. Um, so we do have some success with Australian YA getting over to the US, but then once it's, once it's there and you've got your deal, mm. you know, you're not there promoting yeah. it. You're not there doing the schools, which is such an important part of our lives so here in Australia. So it just lies in, in limbo. Yeah. Um, it's amazing when it happens. Mm. Um, and, and the market there is so different. I mean, your book comes out in hardback and it's yep. just, you know, that's pretty gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and it just does feel a bit sort of fancy pants to have an American deal. It's mm. pretty nice. Um, it, it's, st it's still too rare considering yeah. how much um, American fiction we have in, in our bookshops. I do think that the independent bookshops are getting really, really good mm. at, at picking out Australian fiction and YA and sort of showing sure. customers, look, this is where you find yep. the stuff where you're going to see your lives reflected. Mm. And this is all the other stuff that you yep. is like a juggernaut that's going to have a movie and a, mm. you know, everything yeah. else attached to it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and there's also the fact that without that control from being there, I think about the, the cl classic uh, line, uh, person I think of is Graham uh, Simpson. Now, it's not, it's not um, YA, but uh, with the Rosie Project, you know, that uh, when it went over to the States was very much put in the chiclet, uh, everyone's favorite category, uh, chiclet, yeah. you know, and yes. you're like, you can't just, to, to bang something into a category like that can be quite tough for an author. And, you know, there isn't so much of the, the relationship. As much as the internet has broken down barriers, it still means that the, you may not be able to have that same kind of influence yeah. over where something goes. Yeah. And one thing about um, being published in the US is that they often want to change your book in ways that may make you feel slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, um, sure. Um, I've been really, really lucky with my latest book in that it is set in London and Melbourne and they haven't wanted to change that's that great. dynamic at all mm -hmm. um, and they've been incredibly sensitive about the way they've edited it they're really thinking about their readers and is this word just going to stumble yep. make them stumble so much that it's going to sort of spoil the experience mm -hmm. um, but that's not always the case it's not always that delicate delicate right. you know yeah and I think um, maybe with a you know blunt force trauma I think a lot of publishers do try and 
push the idea of dividing genres very clearly mm. simply because the idea is in a, in a bookshop, those genres really help to sell. Yeah. And so having clear distinctions and a lot of people go into a bookshop mm. and they look at, you know, the genre, what's out? Oh, this is my genre. And then they buy it as I clutch desperately yeah. for my notebook. <laughs> um, but, yeah. and, and I think that has its benefits for the audience, but at the same time for the writer, it, it can get a little overbearing. Yeah. And it can be especially difficult if you write in several different categories as well. Oh, yes. yes. Tell yeah. me about Your it. Your books are sort of several miles apart from each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's tough. And yeah, sometimes I guess these are the challenges of a physical bookstore, right? But as, mm. as much as, as genres help us, uh, they can also be a bit of a hindrance at times. They certainly can be. Well, we're wrapping up for the topic. Thank you very much, Emily, for joining us on the podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. I hope uh, our listeners have enjoyed it as much as we both have. Mm. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up later. Thank you so much, both of you. Fantastic. You. Have a good one, and we'll see you on the next podcast.